0: Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drum, beat out old trouble and drum, beat out old trouble and drum, and kick all trouble out the door. Beat me.
1: Well, well, this is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The Dowager, the Empress herself, Dale Bridge, has a prior engagement. Maybe she's getting married, I don't know. And in her place, a stepped-in Kelly. Good afternoon, Kelly.
2: Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, everybody.
1: Yeah, you you look vaguely familiar. You used to be a you were a guest on this show in the early days.
2: I was, I was.
1: And you survived.
2: I did just.
1: Just, just. did it. Did it scar you for life?
2: Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Not did, it, too bad. Did
1: Did, did your friends say we didn't know that about you?
2: They didn't. They didn't listen. They weren't <laughs> listening.
1: <sighs> That's a tragedy. That is a tragedy. Well, <laughs> Kelly, thank you for stepping into the breach. You know, it's really good that we've actually got talented people here at 3CR, not just show bonies. Now, my name's Joseph Toscano, I'm a show pony, and we have, on Radical Australia, a doctor. That's right. Dr. Evan Kirksey. This is when you say hello. Hello. It? Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, 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 son, son, son. Now, son. Now, this, is, this is my biggest gripe on radio. Everybody says... Thanks for having me. Son, I haven't had you, all right? All right. I haven't right. had you. Not yet. Intellectually or physically. Not yet. And I'm not interested in having you. <laughs> this is a pleasant, polite talk. Great. Uh, obviously, you've come here with certain uh, agendas, but we don't worry about those agendas till later on. We're here to learn about you. Now, you look, I only ask two questions. First question is very simple, takes 10 seconds, and the next question takes 54 minutes to answer. Now, being a doctor, you'd be used to these things. So, what year were you in, born in?
2: 1976.
1: You know, you don't look that old. You look as if you were born in 77. <laughs> <laughs> 76. Tallahassee, Florida. I didn't ask that. <laughs> I we volunteered. We, we don't interview Americans on this program, <laughs> but uh, we'll make an exception as you got in. Did What, did you fake your identity card or something? Something like that. All right, fair enough. All right, 76 in where?
2: Tallahassee. Can you Tallahassee,
1: spell that? Tallahassee. T-A-L. Who knows? Tallahassee, <laughs> Florida. Now, why is that name familiar to me? What it's, I assume it's in every B-grade cop movie, is it? Uh,
2: You know, it's where the governor lives. It's the capital of Florida. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But isn't it? When you watch those, when you're a kid, you watch those shoot
2: 'em up things, you know? Could so like, be, always, yeah.
1: Tallahassee, Florida.
2: It's, it's not part of the... Prominent public imaginary, but it's you oh, know
1: okay all right. It's a, it's a town. It's a town. That's cool. Is it a town or a city? Hard to say. Hard to <laughs> say. Yeah.
2: Was the governor's mansion nice? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember dressing up as a stormtrooper yeah. and uh, throwing on on Halloween, throwing uh, sticks up in the trees to get pecans out of the governor's trees. No, 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 you got it wrong there, son. <laughs> It's the people's tree. The people's tree. The well, governor is right, only there right, yeah, while
1: people elect them. Isn't that yeah. correct? They still do have elections in the states, don't they?
2: Sometimes, but in <laughs> Florida there's particular the ways that yeah, elections happen. Yeah,
1: yeah, but we won't go into that. Yeah, if you're black or you've been a prisoner, it's not pleasant, is it? You, well, you can't vote if, if, exactly. if you have any kind of record.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: All right, now let's get serious. What's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth?
2: So in Tallahassee I was four mm-hmm. and uh it was my birthday party. And mm. uh I remember clowns <laughs> on a balcony <laughs> throwing gum as if it was raining. Really? Yeah.
1: Amazing. Was this the was this the times of Miss, was it Mr. Gacy, the clown what was his name? You know, I've forgotten his name, the mass murderer. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's before, before Stephen, Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but I'm yeah, thinking maybe John,
2: John, uh, John Lynch, you know, that oh, right. that kind of... Yeah, but so there were clowns.
1: clowns. And how many of your little mates were there? Lots of little mates running you know, around? Yeah,
2: lots, lots of little, little friends running around yeah. in the backyard. And, uh-huh. and But there were these
1: clowns throwing gum at you. Yeah, chewing I, gum
2: was raining out of the sky. I hope it was wrapped in
1: something. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was clean. It was clean. Yeah, it is Tallahassee. You never know what you could <laughs> find on the ground. Dog shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a golden retriever. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, that's quite exciting. But now, are your parents still alive? They are. Oh, we can't say bad things about them. <laughs> um, were they Americans?
2: Yep, yep. Uh was so born there. Both hmm? of them are from eastern Tennessee. Eastern so, Tennessee. Yep. right. Uh, one of my grandfathers was a janitor in uh, the plant where they built the atomic bomb. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, he got exposed to a lot of uh, radioactive materials. That explains a lot of things, doesn't it? Yep. Special <laughs> the fact that you've been called Evan, that the, explains the, the, that. the extra finger. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I didn't want to mention that. It's a T-shirt that I was worried about, which we'll talk about later on. Okay. So are they still in the U.S. of A.?
2: They're still there. Now, now they're outside of Washington, D.C., Outside, weren't they let in or something? Uh, my dad used to work downtown, but uh, uh, yeah. Can, can you no. talk about it, or is it hush hush? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so his his career was interesting. He you know he was in Tallahassee working at the governor's office. He was an environmental engineer, and mm-hmm. uh, I haven't talked to him in depth about that work, but in part it involved designing bicycle lanes and. Uh, you know, uh, public transport and that kind of thing. Oh, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit with the US of does it? <laughs> no. This is the 70s. You know, Flor- Florida was an interesting place in, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. then he, he went back to Tennessee, which is where his roots are from, and uh, got involved in the Tennessee Valley Authority doing one of their um, very early solar energy projects. Um, so, again, you know, kind of cutting edge for yeah. for the day. Um, but then, say so though you've been
1: corrupted as you grew up. <laughs> yeah. least, this new age father of yours. How about your mum? Was she? Hopefully, she was some conservative to balance everything out. Uh,
2: so, so she was. She actually started out in, in social work, doing, oh. um, you know, go, going around to uh, folks' homes and told me some real vivid stories about. She was a social worker. Yeah, yeah what it was really
1: like in Tallahassee. Yeah. Yeah. It, it
2: wasn't pleasant for a lot of people, was it? Backyard barbecues, uh, yeah. and, and intense stories. Um, mm-hmm. but one of the things that stood out during that work was, um, a, a couple of people who she encountered who were deaf. And, mm-hmm. uh, later on, uh, as we were growing up, she went back to school and, uh, uh, got a doctoral degree in audiology. So, mm-hmm. um, as uh, late in life after I went away. What to fool. Uh, well, you know, she wanted to help people who had hearing problems. So, Well,
1: why couldn't you just sell them hearing aids? Well, that's well, what I, she what, does. What? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. she, but she needed a doctorate for that. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. in the States, mm-hmm.
2: uh, it's mm-hmm. it's not just like you're a vending machine, you know, really really mm-hmm. serious uh, mm-hmm. uh, testing of people's hearing. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what she did. She mm-hmm. she became a businesswoman. You, you
1: realise that Australia's left you far behind as far as hearing is concerned. Huh. You know about what they do here, don't they, these days? No cochlear ear implants oh sure sure yeah sure. yeah, yeah. And maybe she should have done a phd in that <laughs> <laughs> all right but we won't, we won't dwell on your parents and what are they doing in washington now that they're retired do they like uh, pay bridge or something
2: they bought a farm
1: they so, bought a farm yeah the old tree change what two cows and a.
2: uh actually so <laughs> i think well first they started with 13 chickens yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. the foxes and raccoons and yeah. the hawks quickly took that down to two yeah or actually three. So mm. three chickens, mm. but then one of them changed gender. So it turned out that, you know, when mm. you have three girls, one of them turns into a boy. Mm. <laughs> At least that's well, what happened to well, their chickens.
1: Exactly. It was all that radioactivity from your <laughs> grandfather, I reckon. Probably. That contributed to that change. And then they've, they've... Hopefully it doesn't happen to you.
2: They've got, I think uh, it's about uh, two dozen cows that, uh-huh. that the neighbor brings. Uh, so they're oh, they just the cows.
1: Yeah. they adjust the cows. Yeah. Adjustment, right. So, so what do they do for entertainment look look at the stars or something
2: yeah probably they just got a telescope uh mm. the, you know my sister's got a little kid so there's yeah. a grandbaby running around all right oh.
1: oh look sounds very idyllic this is middle america isn't it's <laughs> very nice very nice all right let's get back to your miserable life so here you are you're a kid you've got these beautiful parents who are doing all the right things by you so that, that, you go to school in the USA or you're homeschooled?
2: Yeah, you go to school. Uh, You weren't homeschooled?
1: Nope. No, okay, all right. So where'd you go initially?
2: Let's see, my first school memory is, uh, I think it was, you know, my folks were, I think, protestant of some flavor I, mm-hmm. but i ended up at a jewish uh, uh uh kindergarten so one of my first memories from there is is having mm-hmm. one of those big parachutes and running under it with all my friends
1: yeah, you realize it's passover tomorrow are you going to do something for that nope no. <laughs> so you didn't didn't wash off on your no, jewish kindergarten no. okay all right we'll go past that you went to primary school
2: yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah as i've done signal mountain uh and signal ten- mountain yeah ten- signal Ooh. mountain tennessee Whoa! I was, oh, so you would
1: moved by then back from Tallahassee. To moved Tennessee. when I was four to For Tennessee. Tennessee.
2: Yeah. yeah, so I was turned loose in the summers with my dog and yeah, his yeah, dog. This is the golden retriever that that's shit everywhere. Yeah.
1: yeah, all right. So what you just and you just said you've got one sibling, your sister. Is that right? Yep. No other siblings. No. Nope. She older or younger? She's younger. She's younger. Well, she's seen the light, hasn't she? <laughs> she hasn't left the United States of America. So here you are, little kid, wandering with your dog, enjoying life. It's good. So, did you excel at anything in primary school?
2: Let's see. Uh, I don't have too many memories of. It. So, I switched primary schools. You switched we, why? We, were you expelled or something? No, we <laughs> moved. We moved away again. So, 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 my dad's whole division got discontinued. So, the, uh, the I can stuff, understand that. You know, yeah. this environmental bullshit. You know, solar yeah. panels and all that. So this was, it's the 80s now, and this was Tennessee Valley Authority, right? and yeah. you know they make most of their electricity from hydropower and, mm-hmm. and coal. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah we had to move after 4 years. So we <laughs> moved to Ohio which was Not at gunpoint. Not at gunpoint. Gun no. But uh yeah it, it was it was that was
1: a disruptive move. Ohio. Yeah. Well, well did they doing solar power in Ohio or something?
2: No, I don't I actually don't remember much about what he was up to in Ohio. Uh, but will right, was we won't ask. Yeah.
1: Could have been drones or something like that. <laughs> now getting back uh so you finished primary school in Ohio.
2: Yeah. Where in Ohio? Uh is this community called Upper Arlington? Upper Arlington. So it's I a assume, suburb of Columbus,
1: the capital. Right, right. And I assume if there's an upper, there's a lower, is there?
2: Yeah, we didn't encounter them. I think they, <laughs> they were on the out. other side of the tracks. Yeah. Oh, all right. Was very, it, was, it was a community. There's, you know, like one black kid and yeah. maybe one Jewish kid. It yeah, was like yeah. they'd all grown up there. Their grandparents had grown up there. Yeah, so was there w- it
1: wasn't – we wouldn't, wouldn't have
2: any mixed marriages there. The upper Arlington didn't no. marry the lower Arlington. No, they
1: they also had some extra fingers there too now what was that famous family feud in the south who were they, the McCoys, wasn't it the McCoys and who else, yeah I don't know I mean I'm not even from America I know this shit, you don't know remember there's a famous family feud about yeah I know know the family feud but this is more heartland, so Uh, listeners, listeners 94198377 tell us who the family feud was (laughs) it is a live show, Eben why Eben, is that short for something
2: yeah, so uh, I'm named after my great-grandfather, right. who was a Protestant pastor in mm. Northern Ireland, oh. and uh, uh, his full name is Ebenezer. And ah, thankfully Ebenezer. Thankfully, I only got the nickname. <laughs> right. You don't mind if we call you Ebenezer during the rest of the interview? Uh, no, I, I, I prefer my actual name. Evan. Oh, that's on your birth certificate. <laughs> it Eben. is. It's it not is. Ebenezer. It's not. Uh,
1: one of my son's friends is called Eben, and I've known him since about four, and I've always wondered where it
2: came from. Thank you for... Um, Clarifying that for me. So, did you?
1: Do they have high schools in America?
2: Yeah, I mean, high, <laughs> high school is interesting. I mean, I, yeah. that's I moved to Washington D.C. after Ohio. So Washington D.C. Yeah, well, a suburb. So it's it's called Rockville, and right, uh, yeah. there's an REM song that says, "Don't go back to Rockville and what waste that? another year." What waste? <laughs> that's how the suburb is. It? It's pretty desolate. I mean, yeah. it's you know, uh, D.C. has got a lot of interesting stuff. Don't you have a mall? Uh, yeah, the, the oh, mall. Oh, well, it's alright then. Isn't well, it? <laughs> but well, there's the National Mall, right? So that's that's the a, National Mall. That's an iconic feature of Washington D.C. So it's where you have like the Smithsonian and, oh, and the right. Space Museum and yeah. the Capitol Building and the yeah. White House. That hasn't been privatized yet, has it? Not quite yet. Yeah, you can right, still you okay. can still get them for free. <laughs> okay. But yeah, out out where we were, it was pretty grim. We just had a mall and no trees. And yeah, no, there were trees, but it was. Well, it's,
1: it's, what was why was it green?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is this is like these these are kind of the new modernist dreams of 1950s America, kind of coming mm-hmm. of age, mm-hmm. and you know these, these are former farms that um, had been planned as as these you know recreated villages and communities, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, it felt a lot like in in a sense maybe Disney World. There, there's there's a book by David Harvey called Spaces of Hope that featured. The, the community where my parents lived uh, did, you, did you have a white picket fence Uh, yeah I think we did <laughs> that's <laughs> like very one, nice. you know one that was built like uh, you know probably 10 years before they uh, showed sure. up so where did you go to high school uh, it's called Thomas Wooten High School. Why Thomas Wooten? Who's Thomas Wooten? Uh, a patriot. That's a patriot, all we that's know. Nice. He <laughs> killed people.
1: He's a patriot. Probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably killed,
2: killed lots of Native Americans. That's, that's how you become a patriot. You've got to kill people. Right. right. And take their land. But let's not worry about it. So what did you excel at at high school? Let's see. So in high school, uh, I had some great teachers. I, right. I really enjoyed a psychology class by uh, a man of the fabulous name of Happy Allison, <laughs> uh, a hammer dulcimer player and uh, uh-huh. an evangelical Christian, it turns That's out. So uh, and uh, I had a great biology class, took an AP biology class. What's AP? Uh, it's advanced placements. So no, you can take right. sort of like okay. college So I say you're a bright boy. That's what you're trying to tell us.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. We understand that. But right.
2: but then I got so bored with Rockville that um, I left. And, and you left? Yeah. What grade was that? That was, uh, so it was, I guess it was the first half of my last year. So the senior year or 12th senior. grade. You left? I, I went to but, Indi- Indonesia. Hang on. Hang on. What year was this? Uh, this was 1994. You left? Yeah. You left. How old were you? Uh, 17.
1: So you were doing a Genus Joplin. Instead of going (laughs) to South America, you went (laughs) to Indonesia. That's right. Can can I ask, why Indonesia? I mean, you're in Washington, D.C. It's a long way away. Yeah, I just basically picked it out of a brochure. You picked it out of a brochure. Mm -hmm. You thought you'd like to go to Indonesia at 17 and
2: and throw in your future. Yeah, I was interested in nature, interested in culture. Yeah, yeah. seemed like a place And where what did your parents say about this? They wanted me, I, and I actually I think I got a scholarship to go to Finland. You got a scholarship <laughs> to go to Finland, and you threw that away I to threw go that to the down tropics. the toilet to go to Indonesia.
1: Well, I, when I got my doctorate of medicine, I um, got an offer to go and do research at Gothenburg University in Sweden, and I threw that away too, <laughs> but I had real reasons why I couldn't go. You just,
2: yeah. You're only 17. Right.
1: What, which Indonesian, and sorry, sorry, where in Finland were you going to go?
2: Uh, I don't remember much about it, no. but um, no. I was in Finland last year, and it was beautiful, it so is. my life could have yeah. been different if I went there. You know, Finland's very interesting,
1: especially mm. in winter. Yeah. You know why? It's white you everywhere. No, yeah, but you know why Helsinki's such a great place in winter? Why? because they've got so many bars, Mm. you know, nightclubs, right? And if you wander out pissed and you curl yourself in the snow, you just disappear for the winter. (laughs) And then when spring comes and summer comes, the snow melts and they find all the dead people. Truly, (laughs) this is true. Not a bad way to go. That's that's what I found out in 1982. I don't know if our punk friends were pulling our leg, but that's what they said used to happen in Helsinki. Oh no no, we don't do that for another ten minutes, Kelly. It's all right. Don't worry what they tell you in the front office. Where, look, this is a cocoon. We, you and I and Evan, do what we like. Okay, <laughs> so just relax. Yeah, she got a bit touchy. She wanted us to give us a station announcement like so. All right. I am interviewing. This is Dr. Joseph Toscano with the assistance of Kelly, interviewing Dr. Eben Kirksey. C. Kirksey. Kirksey, which is Gravedigger, you said.
2: Well, that's what my uncle thinks. My, my uncle um, yeah. is, is a journalist. Now, hang on, hang on. Yeah. I haven't finished. All can, right. On You're Community journey. Radio yeah. 3CR,
1: 855 on the AM dial, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. We've done it 10 minutes before we normally do it, but I've got to obey Kelly. Now, did you get to Indonesia? I did. What, did you swim, Take a, took
2: a plane? So the, the flights used to go... Um on this unexpected route so i'd heard of bali, You'd I, heard of bali. I was yeah. headed to yeah. java yeah. which is where i was going to be an exchange student right um and on the way we stopped in hawaii um as yes, you did but between hawaii and uh denpasar bali they did a refueling stop and Wait, ba- basically I, I i wanted to sleep through it um but it's one of these stops where they want to clean the plane so they make everybody get off um so so as we came in you could just see like one or two electric lights and um so they forced me out just disoriented put into this waiting room Uh there's a a glass wall how many people were in the waiting room um you know there's you know i'd say 50 to 80 of us who are transnational travelers and there's all these people ...pushed up against the glass looking at us from the outside. Were they? And and then this string band comes on. Hang on, hang on. Now, these people that were pushing against the glass and looking at you, did they look strange or were they mirror images of your, your mob? Well, kind of sort of maybe fitting... An image of the tropics that I had as a seventeen-year-old kid. So, so, what do they look like? Um, you know, folks. Folks that. um Well, let me talk talk about the performers. The performers were. No, dressed no, no, no. I want to know about the people, people outside. All right. So you know. You brought it up. <laughs> I didn't bring it up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all our listeners are waiting. Right, right, right There's right. all these people <laughs> pressed against the glass, <laughs> looking at you. Yeah. What were they? Zombies? What
2: were they? I mean, they, they were looking at us like we're fish in a bowl. Well, oh, you weren't fish and, in a bowl. And. uh but what do they look like? Right. So you Dark. dark Skin, Dark you know, skin wearing t shirts, yep. shorts, yep. And, and then the string band comes on. A string band. Yeah, with ukuleles and grass skirts and they start playing these, these songs that what? just really captured my Outside imagination. Or inside? inside. They're performing for us. Okay, and,
1: yeah. and any penis
2: goods? Uh there are pictures of penis cords on the wall. Right, um, so birds birds of paradise on on the, on the wall. Did you know where you were? I I didn't, (laughs) but I later learned that this was the island of Biak in Uh in West Papua, and uh, this this place really captured my imagination. Mm -hmm. And I later learned that people from Biak uh, also go out into the open ocean and outrigger canoes and and sing songs to the fish. We'll, We'll do that later all right it's, it's a good story it's no, a good story no, later on later on. all right finish the story <laughs> fish so they they remember english words from when general douglas macarthur mm. swept through the pacific and um they flirt with the fish they're, they call out and say like hey woman come on jump in my boat we're going to go to a party and when the fish jump in the boat they're taken on shore and then there's a bait and switch that's revealed and uh basically the fish are, are roasted alive and eaten whole and for for me it was a moment where my imagination was captured about this place well, you
1: saw this or you heard this i later heard this um, later yeah so yeah. what's it, what are you talking about it now for well you didn't it, know about it.
2: As, as a 17 year old kid there was a certain sort of magic that was also working in me yeah. you know they they um they were trying to capture us. They were trying to get us to come out of the plane. It, uh, it, it was a moment when there was a brief period of relative calm and peace. And this, this is 94, was it? Yeah, this is so hard, there's no new order. So yeah. an era
1: of... Uh, there, there weren't people in green uniforms with submachine guns around there? They were
2: lurking around the corner, but you couldn't see that. You couldn't see that. And okay, all right, all right, all right. Let, let's, let's forget about that. Yeah. It's, it's just too strange I <laughs> to think you're making it up. So where do where you eventually end up at... So I ended up in the home of Sam Bimbo, who is an Indonesian rock star. Um, he's, he's a. Sam Bimbo. That's Wazzle right. Is. Uh, I don't know. He he was a big deal in the '80s, oh, yeah, the '70s. He, he what, probably what, 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 hasn't done an album in maybe ten years.
1: You're 17. You <laughs> turn <laughs> up in the home of an Indonesian rock star. You're not being groomed for something, are you? No, no. no. But, but you know, my host sister,
2: uh, you know, she was featured in the tabloids when she oh, started right. dating yeah. another musician. Oh, and right. Okay. It was that kind of household. So they had servants then.
1: Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was. Nice little place to. You had your own room? Yeah, I had my own room there. Very pleasant, was it?
2: They had a driver, they had <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a couple that yeah. um, one of them cooked and the other yeah. cleaned. Yeah, and as you do, as you do. Yeah. I
1: assume every Indonesian's got that.
2: Well, I mean, <laughs> every Indonesian of a certain class, but yeah, yeah All right, lots, okay. of, lots of poor people in Indonesia.
1: And so what did you do, just hang around the swimming pool, or did you actually do some learning?
2: Uh, so, so I went to high school, and um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, uh, what, what's your, was it ba- 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 ha- Bahasa? Bahasa? What's yeah. that like? Did you, did you, know, did you well, know any Bahasa? Basically? I showed up not knowing a word, or right. maybe like five words, mm-hmm. and over the course of my stay there, yeah, I became fluent. Fluent? Uh, yep. That's a worry. <laughs> I'll get you to
1: say something later on <laughs> so we can get you deported. But that's that's another story. Now, so how long did you stay? I was there six months. That's it? Yep.
2: And then what? You went back to little Washington, D.C.? Yep, went back to Rockville, and mm. uh, then I didn't want to go to school anymore. So I, uh, I started up an internship at the National Institutes of Health. Right. Where I was working with animals in a behavioral pharmacology lab. Uh huh, uh huh. You're a torturer, but keep going. Basically, <laughs> yes. yeah. So, so I wanted to be a scientist and, yeah. um, I, I sort of confronted, you know, the realities of research with animals The mm. the lab that I was working in had rats, it had rhesus macaques. I didn't work with those. Mm. Um, it had pigeons and yeah, my, my, we were working with cocaine. So I had Ooh. Co- cocaine that, <laughs> coke rats. Yeah, rats (laughs) that were injecting themselves with cocaine. What, the rats were
1: injecting themselves, or were you doing the injections?
2: Uh, Nope, we set them up in a system so that they could push buttons for cocaine. And And, did did they? Oh, they loved the cocaine, but they they were also trying to study another drug. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically the solvent that's in glue that makes kids high when they have glue, and the rats really didn't want that. Um, Mm. But, you know, the way that it was set up... I love it. (laughs) You've <laughs> got these little rats
1: wandering around. They see a needle, and they go whoa. Yeah, well, that's the, that's, that's really the way creative. That,
2: the way that it was set up was really horrible. All right, um, okay. So how long did you last? Uh, well, I did I did it the whole semester, but but it basically sort of set me on the path that I am on now. So in addition to doing stuff on what Indonesia and r- in West Papua,
1: hang on, hang on. Just yeah. leave the questions to me. All,
2: right, all right, all right. It's this type
1: of interview. Right. Kelly will tell you. You're going to push me around. <laughs> no, no, no. Have you got the um, prod, electric prod, Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. No, 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 no. We just like to do things in order here. Right, and okay. Because you know, people Pornology. are interested in you, but we will get to the you know the main aim of the interview later on. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. Yeah. God is with us. Yeah.
2: You know. You've come from that background. You know. <laughs> all right.
1: So what would you do?
2: Well, so I went on to become an anthropologist. Excuse me, a what? Anthropologist. So they still have them. They still have us. What is an anthrop anthropologist? What do do? anthropologists study? um, The conditions of human life as it is now, Uh as it was, Uh and as it might be. Right. So now I'm an anthropologist who. So
1: you basically put people in glass
2: cases, like you you were in West
1: Papua, and look at them.
2: Uh, that's one of the places where I do anthropology. But um, I also go into science labs and um, science labs. Well, are you still torturing rats? Uh, I study people. <laughs> well, you I st- torture I s- people. I that's pe- pe- more acceptable. I, I study people who, uh, uh. you know. You're all right. So, so, where did you do this? Uh, I've done that all over. No, no, no. <laughs> but where,
1: where, where did, where did you graduate?
2: Oh, uh, like where where I went to yeah. all the different places. Um, So I went back to Florida, yeah. uh, a, a small college called New College. It mm-hmm. rides itself as a bastion of radical education. Right. So no grades, uh, study whatever you want. Yeah. Um, So I ended up doing a lot of uh, international research. Right. I went back to West Papua. I went to Latin America. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> I allowed you to go to West Papua. You, yeah, got, yeah. you got a visa? I got a visa. This was... Uh, as, a, as a what? Uh, so I'd been applying for two years, right. and um, the week after Soharto resigned, you know, mm-hmm. this popular ah, protest yeah, forced yeah, him out of office. Yeah. I'd I'd been writing to the embassy for for years, and I just show up at the embassy and I just stamp your passport. Some guy, you know. Who knows? Like, I think he's probably breaking the rules. <laughs> no, no, he, he felt he felt liberated. Well, so he resigned. Moments, yeah, no, yeah, nobody knew what the new new rules might be. Was it so. not? Was it ninety eight? I think it was ninety eight. Yeah, he'd so. been there what
1: over thirty two years. Yep. The ba- the hard man resigned.
2: Yep. So
1: you kind of intimated that West Papua had something to do with his resignation. No,
2: no. no. It, so what? What? related to his resignation was a popular protest of Mm. indonesian students who occupied parliament so very much like the arab spring or occupy wall street but you know in this case they called for something impossible to happen the dictator to resign and nobody knew you know Mm. was it going to end in a bloodbath or was the thing they hoped for going to happen and it actually happened
1: what do you need in those situations are the children of the military in the protest that but used, some of them were there. Exactly. Yeah. That's what usually saves you. If you've got scum like you and me in the process, <laughs> well, you know, it's machine gun bullets. Mm.
2: All right. So what did you do for the first time you went to West Papua? Uh, so I was an exchange student again. A take, student? Yeah. I was taking classes in anthropology at the local university. Which which is where? Uh, it's in the capital city. is called Jayapura. Yep. And it's called Bird of Paradise University or mm. Universitas Chandrawasi. Mm -hmm. And within two weeks of getting there, um, I was just on campus one day and there was a protest and Mm -hmm. I was just on the sidelines uh, chatting with a couple of professors and um, I saw this truck of police go by and uh, they all turned their heads and looked at the protest and then all of a sudden all of us were running and uh, we ran into a coffee shop and continued the conversation and... The proprietor shut the doors and put curtains over the windows. And then these popping noises started. Popping noises. Huh? Yeah. We, well, we're setting off we reckoned crackers, it was whatever. probably firecrackers. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Kept talking, and yeah. then all of a sudden there's an explosion right outside of the window. And mm-hmm. we dove under the table and right. and hid there for the, the next uh, half hour or so. Mm. And when we got out, it turns out that uh, two students had been shot. A law student named Stefan Suripati, who was shot in the head and later died. And a middle school girl who was shot in the leg and survived, but now walks with a like, you know, a mm. limp. Um, so, rumors started circulating about me. Um, folks thought that I was a human rights activist with Amnesty International or a journalist. I, or thought,
1: I thought you would have, I would have said you were CIA. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was, I,
2: was, I was a kid. Oh, you a kid. Right. Okay. You know, well, how old were you? We? Uh, 21? At that point, I think about 21. Yeah. 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 So, what happened to you? Uh, I got out of town. So, I headed, what? headed what? for the hills. You <laughs> headed for the hills. Yeah.
1: The West Parkland Hills. Yep. And And... What, did you
2: have a begging bowl or something, or? A what? <laughs> begging bowl? How did you
1: survive in the
2: hills? Oh, I brought a big sack of rice on my back. Uh-huh. Uh, what else did I bring? Mm-hmm. I brought a couple of things. I brought some money. I mean, right, pe- people right. have money. It was the middle of the Asian financial crisis, so right. my dollars were worth a lot of money. Right. Okay, uh, sounds
1: good. So how long did you
2: last in the hills? A couple of months. A couple of months. Yep. What was living conditions like for you? Uh, So it was a a village that had just uh, been created um, because a logging road had been cut through Mm -hmm. the highlands. West Mm -hmm. Papua doesn't have many roads, and it's got rainforest. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, the only place with bigger swaths of rainforest is the Amazon. So this was a recently created road. A village had emerged on the side, and... uh, Yeah, it was government-built housing, super simple, um, but yeah, just like planks of wood, elevated platform, Mm. and actually lived in a little hut um, that I shared with a pig. (laughs) Well, you know what they (laughs) say. You can't choose your family, you can choose your friends, but if
1: you want (laughs) a pig as a friend, I have no problems with that. All right, so... Did anybody wonder where you were? Because this was before mobile phones. Did yeah, you find this a family is, wonder or something? Uh, you know? So I was
2: off the grid. You yeah. know, this is, this is. there wasn't even a, a they, they have single sideband radios yeah, that folks yeah. use to like call in airplanes yeah. and mm-hmm. um, there wasn't a radio in the village. So. Yeah, so, so why did you stay there for so long? Were you just concerned about going back or? Um, so, I, yeah, I wanted to do an undergraduate thesis, which, which I oh. did do. Um, which and, was what? Uh, it was about food, about oh. different things okay. that people eat. Yeah. Um, but Fish. I but I also ended up writing about some of the massacres that, that I witnessed So, uh, uh, Alright, we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> in about a second I've got to do, so this
1: is where Kelly's got to give me a sign So it's time to do a station announcement, Joe This is Radical Australia Streaming live on 3cr.org.au On 855 on your AM dial My name's Joseph Toscano I'm interviewing Dr. Eben Kirk say and Kelly from Ruminations is doing all the hard work while we just chat away amongst ourselves. Typical blokes.
2: Alright. Massacres. What massacres? Uh so as I was trying to get out of town from jayapura right. I got on a ferry yep. and uh what I wanted to do is change ferries like on this island, the same place, Biak, was it? Yeah, yeah, Biak, Biak, yeah. yeah. Yep. yeah. And then from there, just head to the hills. But when I got to Biak, uh, I found that the harbor was occupied by uh, a bunch of independence protesters. So mm-hmm. they ransacked all the government offices. And when the ship docked, they came on board uh, shouting Papua Merdeka, which means independence for West Papua. Um, so I was waylaid there for a few days. And the very next day... Um, there was a troop transport plane that flew in some soldiers from another Indonesian island called Ambon. And, uh, then, you know, in the middle of that night, the gunfire started. Um, you yeah, know, I heard sporadic gunfire throughout the night. Um, started really just before dawn. So, um, uh, in the moment, it was hard to tell what was going on. Uh, I, I watched one guy um, get walked behind a building, and there was a single gun report, and he didn't come back. Um, but as as I started talking to people, I, I realized the scale of what was happening. From from my hotel, I could see a couple of ships that were docked there in the harbor. And uh, uh, basically they loaded all the survivors of the initial assault onto these ships, took them out into the middle of the ocean, and dumped them overboard. What, the Argentinian solution? Yeah, something like that. And mm. um, and you could see this? I could see the ships, and I later talked to somebody who jumped when the ships were still within swimming distance. Mm-hmm. Um, she happened to know one of the soldiers, and he was just like, jump so and this, go this, this for is it. So men
1: and women? Men children? and women and children and children. Yep, babies even. Um, just put on these barges and just sent off and yep. forced off.
2: Yep. Uh, and then bodies started washing up on the shore. Mm-hmm. So there's and a
1: this, is, this is this is on top of the people that were being shot.
2: That's right. So mm-hmm. so there, I later talked to somebody who mm-hmm. saw them load bodies on, onto the trucks from from the initial shooting. So um, I'm bad with numbers, but uh, is something like. 15, 17 bodies in the initial load. And not everybody was dead either. No. Um, so there was two truckloads and, um, you know, talk to some people who know where they're buried. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, intense stuff. For this is in 98 and you were 21. 98. So we're coming up on mm. the 20-year anniversary of, of the, the Viyak Viyak massacre. massacre. Right, yep. right.
1: Were all the people who were massacred, were they eventually identified by their relatives and friends? Or I know they're hastily buried, but people know who died.
2: It's, yeah, difficult work. So there, the key report that came out from an indigenous human rights NGO called El Sam Papua was titled uh, Names Without Graves, Graves Without Names. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a lot of people uh, did some of the hard work of, of matching, you know, bodies with families. But this isn't an era before you could use DNA testing technologies, for example, to get a definitive identity. Um, some of the bodies, and maybe I shouldn't go into the graphic details. No, go into the graphic all details because right, right.
1: uh, um, yeah. people need to understand yeah. what it actually means—not just for the people who've died, but the survivors and their families and the people.
2: Yeah. So some of these bodies were headless. Um, some of the bodies had genitals that had been mutilated. Um, you know, one woman washed ashore with a baby clinging to her. Um, so some, some of the very worst things were done to these people. Um, the the woman who I interviewed who jumped from the boat said that people were raped right in front of her. So, you know, in addition to just being this horrific violence, um, you know, they were degrading, dehumanizing, just deliberate, you know, horrible things done to this these people. This is basically what? For an example for the rest of the country, I see? So it, it's interesting. When, when you talk about this word genocide, mm. um, often... People will say it's really hard to prove because there's no sort of like declaration of intent. Um, But in this case, in between the day when this protest first emerged, which was the 1st of July, and the day when the massacre took place, which was the 6th, we had the Indonesian commander in chief Wiranto, who's who's still in power. Oh yeah, he's going to be the next president, isn't he? Could he's, be. Could he was the
1: commander in chief in West Papua. Oh. Uh,
2: no, for the whole nation. right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. this is a coordinated operation yeah, involving him, him
1: and his Muslim fundamentalist mates. They got it sign up, I think. Yeah. Go on.
2: So so he made a very clear statement, yeah. saying that if if you if you betray the nation, I will destroy you. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think there's. All right. Okay. So you left eventually? Mm-hmm. Back? And after getting malaria several times. Seven, seven times. Seven
1: times. times. So, <laughs> so how
2: long did you spend in West Papua? Uh, that trip, I was there for eight months. Eight right. months. Right. So what, you went back to
1: Tallahassee or West Washington? Or uh, so
2: Sar- Sarasota, Florida was uh, was uh, where I was based. Yeah. Um, went to Harvard about yeah. Same year, I guess. Yeah. Um, Is that where you did your doctorate? Or? I was just a visiting student at Harvard, yeah. and then I went to Oxford University in the UK. To Is that where you did do, your doctorate? That's where I did my master's. The master's <laughs> <I've> <laughs> and what, what, done a lot what, of schooling. Did you do a, what was about thesis or um, yeah? A master's. I, I did um, a master's by research, and, and what was that? And it focused on West Papua. So, so what, what, what? What about West Papua? I'm Basically interested in state violence, and uh, uh, ended up writing about um, both uh, the ongoing violence. and and the emergent independence movement. So So, so when did you finish that? uh, So that was a master's, and then I took it to University of California at Santa Cruz for a PhD, Mm. and uh, then it turned into my first book, which is called Freedom in Entangled Worlds. So when did you get the PhD? PhD is uh, 2008, and then the book came out in 2012. Right. Okay. So what was the book again? It's called Freedom in Entangled Worlds. You can get it on Kindle. Uh, It's with Duke University Press. Um,
1: look, can you give us a very, very brief synopsis of the of, of the doctoral thesis? Because obviously, uh, you went back to West Papua
2: after ninety eight. A bunch, yeah, I did a bunch of trips when I was uh, at Oxford, and then when I was and up. you still
1: had no trouble getting visas.
2: Um, actually, a lot of trouble. So uh, it's a complicated, uh, situation to navigate. But, you know, since I knew the language and since I had good contacts there, I was able to sort of work mm-hmm. with and around the rules. Mm. Um, but yeah, the synopsis is, it's basically a study of, you know, how folks can hold on to hope and seemingly impossible situations. Um, looking at how surprising collaborations can bring possibilities of freedom within reach and l- looking at dreams that are sometimes, seemingly unrealistic um people told me amazing um just imaginative stories and uh Mm. looking at the hard work that people are doing to bring those dreams into contact with reality
1: Mm. and that came out in 2012 the book yep and have you been able to go back to indonesia since
2: yeah i went back in august 2015 and Mm. um got to give the book back to a lot of my friends and mentors and Mm. um ended up going back to the same area where I'd worked in 1998 mm-hmm. and um, found that the village was mostly gone. Uh, mm. Most of the people um, who I knew had died probably from malaria. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested in um, basically, yeah, how, how to understand uh, how people are finding hope and possibilities e- even in really horrible situations that they haven't chosen so how do people living in a clear-cut rainforest still find ways to get food um you know how, how do you start
1: yeah, you're talking about your south american experience no this
2: this is still yeah. west Papua. Well, along still west Papua. along the side of the road so yeah. um yeah so i went back and um Investigated one particular shooting that happened along this road, mm-hmm. and also um, have written a little bit about, uh, yeah, how, how people are finding happiness and hope in, in this horrible situation. Yeah,
1: well, you know what hope is, don't you? Mm. The love child of desire and expectation, desire <laughs> for change and expectation that it'll occur, mm-hmm. and sometimes all, that's all you've got. Yeah, There's nothing else. De-
2: desire that is efficacious, you yeah, know, desire yeah. that does something in the world. Mm, that's right. An expectation mm. that things will change. So,
1: I just want to ask you a few things about West Papua. Mm-hmm. Is it basically a military fiefdom and the government really has no real power in West Papua?
2: So, one of the fundamental problems is that the military is off budget. So, they run everything from golf courses to prost- off. off Budget. Yeah, I mean, there's a modest amount of well, money that the, they what the, the People's Liberation Army in China who are off budget. <laughs> same same concept, is <laughs> it? Yeah, I mean, the the government pays a modest wage, a modest which, wage, which is yeah. relatively, yeah. you know, good by Indonesian standards. But you know, every everyone from the 17 year olds or I don't know how old they start, but yeah. you know, young boys yeah. with guns yeah. in rural places figure out ways of making money that. Yeah. Supplement their income, shall we say. Well, they're entrepreneurs. They're entrepreneurial. With Gans. Yes. And, in, right. and then the generals are more creative in yeah. their entrepreneurial activities. So they'll do everything from engage in the endangered species trade to, you know, sex trafficking on a regional. And I, I don't know if there's evidence of international trafficking, but mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely... Um, you know brothels set up throughout West Papua and mm. other parts of Indonesia that are run by different units of the of the security forces. So, so I think because of that, it's really hard to you know exert civilian control over, mm. over the security apparatus. They're they're um, able to sort of finance their activities and and sort of work um, with complete impunity. All right, and you could kind of go to
1: a committee and say, excuse me, excuse me. Yep. they've been extorting things off us or killed a few people you just nothing's gonna happen
2: yeah and you know with the bigger companies so freeport mcmurran which is the largest gold mine in the world mm-hmm. um there's official deals where um the company pays for protection and it's it's gone back and forth over years um but uh, at various points um really acute conflicts have emerged between the soldiers and, and the corporations
1: what they're not getting their fair count
2: yeah when they feel like they're not getting their fair cut, that's an incentive to create violence and oh. uh, One of the chapters in my book focuses on on a particular case where some American school teachers were killed near the the Freeport mine. And I basically connect all the dots to look at. Um, you know the particular military officers that were involved. One was named, still is named, I, I think he's still around, uh, Captain Margus Arfin, mm. and he was getting on on the order of thirty grand a year. Yeah. And uh, there was internal discussions within the company that year about reducing security payments, and possibly even cutting them off. So in that context, and in the context of an international law, or a U.S. law called the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which required the company to report on their finances. So, yeah, basically um, some white fellows got killed because Mm. uh, the military was trying to make a case that they needed financing. Yeah, and I assume there's
1: a lot, a lot of white fellas working the mines. Yeah. There was a, it kind of focuses the mine, doesn't it, when you get killed?
2: There was, a, there was an Australian who was shot a few years later. I remember and, that, yeah. Yeah. All right, so just to
1: clarify this, so the military basically does what it can to make a buck at every level, mm-hmm. right? People can't complain about anything. Now, tell me about the Transmigration Program, which has had a huge impact. In West Papua.
2: Yeah, so that started in the 1980s, and, and George Mambio, the Guardian journalist, um, he cut his teeth in West Papua, and his his first book is is largely about the Transmigration program. Basically, what they did is take um, tens of thousands of people from from Java and resettle them in West Papua. It ended up being now obviously they paid compensation to traditional landowners. Sure. Or did, right. they fo- or did they
1: follow the Australian
2: example? I think yeah, they uh, took a took a page out of the Australia and U.S settler colonial playbook and yeah I I think even for the settlers themselves it wasn't such a great deal they came to this place where they didn't have a lot of knowledge about the local ecologies and and the local possibilities for agriculture the forest had been clear cut they were given these plots but many of them left and ended up Moving to cities, um, so that that was funded by the World Bank initially. Um, since then, there's been sort of spontaneous transmigration on orders of magnitude that eclipse um, uh, the official uh, 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 transmigration programs. So, so if you
1: transmigrate, if you're Indonesian, are you automatically
2: guaranteed land? No, not, nah, necessarily, not necessarily. But there's no. there's a lot of opportunities for people, and no. um, yeah. you know what what we see is that just in the last few years the Papuans have become a minority in their own land. A, a, mm. Again, a pattern that repeats mm. what mm. has happened elsewhere, like the U.S. Mm. or Australia. Right now, yeah. it's it's um, you know f- about fifty fifty Papuans Indonesians, getting a little closer towards sixty forty. Um, but what what you what you see is is basically a, a slow motion genocide. So I know the West Papuans have been trying very hard
1: to form contacts with people who have migrated. How's that going, do you think? Do you think people think they've got a common destiny as West Papuans or do they see themselves as Indonesians in West Papua?
2: So it really depends on who you talk to. I mean, many Papuans, um, you know, Papuan intellectual leaders very much take a... um, a vision that you know an, an independent west papua of the future has has to reckon with all these people that currently live there you know um there there would be one future where it would be you know a violent bloodbath if 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 um you know west papua to be- were to become um independent and all these people suddenly didn't have a home so 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 i think uh, you know some of the more visionary dreams that are coming out of there are not only thinking about the future of those people that are living there, but they're also thinking about the poor people in Java who are currently subsidized by the massive amounts of money that are flowing from the Freeport mine, as well as this natural gas deposit. So, so one of, one of my Papuan friends talks about what, what would it be like if we transformed the, the theft of natural resources into a gift? with all of the obligations that gifts especially in a New Guinea Melanesian context, all all those obligations that are entailed. You know, what if we tried to replicate, you know, looking at the dynamics between the Soviet Union and the US, where these international aid programs that's how you peddle international influence. Mm-hmm. So so what if we took those, all that money that is being generated from our land and used it to feed the people of Java, used it to feed the people of West Virginia. Mm. Well, that's visionary, unrealistic,
1: but unrealistic things happen. (laughs) Now, now getting back, um, I'm going to use a terrible word, a terrible word, you know, I try not to use it. Is the whole of West Papua
2: pacified? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that assumes, you know, that... Civilization is what sort of brings peace to savages, right? And mm-hmm. and I think that's a dichotomy that's I said that, it a horrible word. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's a dichotomy that assumes yeah. a lot about the nature of modernity and also a lot about the nature of the other. And I, I think if you look at the history of violence, whether it's on a global scale or a local scale, you'll see that you know it's really the state rather than The indigenous people who are the source of a lot of the violence um whether you're looking in south america the united states here in australia very often brown and black people get treated as violent uh, you know rendered as violent and so they need to be pacified yeah and and and
1: what i'm basically asking are there areas of west papua that are not under indonesian military control
2: so sure, I mean there's, there's definitely ways that people have learned to kind of get past the, the, the realm of the state and there's all sorts of areas where, you know, there's not government offices, there's not military patrols, there's places where people are gardening, you know, hunting and gathering and foraging and, and making their own way in the world that isn't in reference to the Indonesian occupation. So so basically, people are, are finding their own possibilities of freedom within the current situation by, by strategically engaging, but also running away and finding those places that are outside of state control. So there are places outside state control? For popular. sure. Yeah, yeah. There are. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's lots of places where, um, you know, there's there's always the specter um, of of, you know, the military showing up and shooting somebody. Yeah, yeah. So, for example... When I was living in this remote village um, on the 17th of August, which is an Indonesian national holiday, someone thought that they heard a gunshot, and they thought that, you know, soldiers had sh- so suddenly shown up, parachuted out of helicopters, and started shooting people simply because they hadn't raised the Indonesian flag on, on that day. Tur- turns out it didn't happen. Like, it, it was yeah, someone's yeah, overactive a- over af- yeah. imagination, mm-hmm. but that just ref- flex that, you know, sure you might be living in this space seemingly outside of state control but there's always that threat that mm. someone could show up at any minute and take your life away. You
1: know, something very important has happened in the last two years, isn't it? That the actual armed struggle faction and the, uh, the more, um, uh, what would you call them, the um, you know, the United nations, you know world type of thing, faction that the whole West Park movement has actually now become one, is that correct? Yeah. So, so in because it was very divided.
2: Yeah. In in the book, um, I write about broad strategies of resistance. So mm-hmm. there's there's some some political theorists, Deleuze and Guattari, who talk about the whispering that one does in the shadows and, mm-hmm. and these mm-hmm. spaces of utter total military domination. Mm-hmm. So so you, so you might be, you know, a, as as a underground movement, you might appear to be fragmented, even if you are kind of united yeah. in, in a common goal. Um, they, they talk about, um, it's, it's kind of a, a, a wild and imaginative metaphor for thinking about those, those underground connections. They, they talk about rhizomes, so mm. these, these plant stems that mm. burrow underground and connect plants. Well, what,
1: what I'm trying to say is, am I correct in believing that currently this is the most unified the West Papua Independence movement has been?
2: Yeah, so so basically, I I, in the book sort of look at how those rhizomes might grow together. I'm not interested in rhizomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pretend (laughs) to
1: stuff the stuff the rhizomes. I've asked a simple question. Right, right, right. The West Papua independence movement was obviously fractured because of the occupation and uh, attempts to pacify people. But I understand that was it last year or the year before that in Vanuatu that the actual all the
2: factions came together.
1: Yeah, they And they've put, they've, put the, they've put their differences aside, and there is a unified West Papua independence movement.
2: So, so I think with any political formation, whether that's an Australian Answer political party. Answer the question. Yes or no?
1: <laughs> come on, come so on. We're running out of time. Right, Answer there,
2: the question. Sure, there's unity, but there's also consequential differences. Of course, matter. there's differences, but there, yeah. there is a unity now, yeah.
1: which wasn't there before. Yeah. Because you had you had big, big men on a lot of sides. Everyone wanted to be a big man, but now they've actually. Come to some type of arrangement. Well, yeah, I mean, are
2: yeah. Australian leaders, big men. I don't know. No, 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 no. <laughs> they're a small men. Yeah, it's a different <laughs>
1: analogy, but all right. Now, I understand. I find this hard to believe that you're the guest speaker at the West Park One Open Day on Sunday, the eighth of April. That's right. We at two p.m. Sunday. Yep, Doctor Eben. West Papua and Social Justice Boardroom, Lifestyle Building, 838 Collins Street, Docklands, Victoria. And obviously, there's a Papua and lunch, and there's a report t- to everybody's interested in West Papua about how the independence struggle is going. So, sounds great. So, what are you going to speak about? New stuff? Or is he just going to repeat the same old stuff you told us today?
2: So I'm working on some new material related to environmental justice. Excellent. Excellent. All right.
1: Any slides?
2: There will be slides. Good. <laughs>
1: Overhead projections? PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Oh. <laughs> Look, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there as the um, coordinator of the West Papua and Rent Collective. So it's on uh, Sunday the 8th of April, 1 p.m., Papua and Lunch, free Lunch, 2 p.m. Dr. Eben Kirksey, West Papua, and social justice. And before that, I will be asking people to join the West Papua Rent Collective, as we're short on members currently. We need another 20 members within the next six weeks. And as I keep saying to people, Evan, you can lose weight and donate a dollar a day to the West Papua Rent Collective. You know, you can give up your fags. And donate that money to the West Park and Rent Collective. You can stop your drug habits. <laughs> hey, look at all these positives that come out of you know you looking after yourself. Great. We're not asking you to make any sacrifices. <laughs> People think, oh, I've got to make a sacrifice. Mm. We're asking you to you know ship up, ship up, and donate money. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. Thank you for doing all the work this afternoon. Thank you for being the draft horse for the show ponies, Eben and myself. Thank you very much, Dr. Eben Kirksky, gravedigger. Kirksey, S-E-Y, K-I-R-K-S-E-Y. Do you have a website? Yeah, you can just Google
2: me, Evan Kirksey. You're the only Evan Kirksey in the world? I'm the only one in the world, yeah.
1: Really, excellent. And uh, if they can't Google you, can they go, how do they get hold of all your work?
2: Uh, Yeah, Kendall's a good place. Uh, You you can also get it on Amazon.com. All right. That's all there. All right,
1: well, I look forward to seeing you on the 8th of April. That's if I survive the... West Papuan lunch which is usually wonderful so thank you very much for coming in look uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you and it's not often that you get uh, eyewitnesses to what's happening and I'm very pleased that when you were 17 you decided to go to Indonesia (laughs) without that step none of this would have been possible so thank you very much and all the best for the future and hopefully you will get many more degrees but more importantly you'll continue to do that wonderful work that you're doing thank you Eben thank you thank you Kelly Thank you.